have to get it. I'm strapped in. Good Whoa, good morning. I'm over here by the baptismal pool. If you could look this way, we get to start our worship service this morning with baptism. Still got a little chatter going on. That's okay. Um, we're glad that you're here. Um, Israel and Angelica, most of you know that Angelica is Angie, um, started coming to our church a good while back. And, um, and they have been saved, they got married recently, and now they're coming to be baptized and to join our church. And so let's just celebrate that together. We're gonna start with Angie. So Angie, come on in, Israel. Oh yeah, if your friends or family, you wanna come up and be closer, please do so. Um, but move around this way so the folks on the front can see and everybody wave at our children up there. We're glad you're here. For some reason, my mic's not working, so I've got a microphone holder right here. And uh, so, Angie, come on in. Israel and Angie Cruz are coming. And um, Angie, are you professing today? You can sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Are you professing that you've been born again? Well, because of your public faith and a public profession of faith and your obedience to God's word, your husband and I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Isn't that great? I told Israel we would let Angie help baptize him, but she might hold him down a little longer, so. <laughs> Go ahead and sit down. This is Israel. Israel, are you professing today that you've been born again? Because of your public profession of faith in Christ and your obedience to God's word by being baptized, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grab my arm. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk and nearness alive. Yeah. We are so glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and greet everybody? Welcome, everybody. All right, you can be seated. 
We are really glad that you're here. Um, if you'll look in the announcement section of your worship guide, there's some announcements for you. And we want to call your attention to that. A couple of things. You're going to hear about Blue Sunday in just a minute, but T-shirts for the Guatemala, the yard sales coming up, and then the Come to the Well and the Sons of Thunder, both of those events are coming up. So please pay attention to those. Well, we want to um, recognize um, Larray. She's going to come. Um, Mother-in-law to Coach Huff back there. Um, Coach, you want to come help her a little bit? No. She's going to share. You can just use this mic right here. None of our mics are working. I'm sorry. Just, just hold this. Uh, you don't have to hold it. You can hold it. Okay. I might break into song. Go ahead. Sing. Come on, Lorraine. Forty years ago, in 1983, President Ronald Reagan declared the month of April to be National Child Abuse Awareness Month. This national spotlight began to raise uh, abuse awareness in our community and in our state. The Children St. Clair Children's Advocacy Center, also known as the Children's Place, has been providing services to children and family affected by abuse for 30 years. We stand in the gap for those children and their families and guide them through the healing process. Blue Sunday, which is today, the last Sunday in April, is the day when churches take time in their service to pray for victims of child abuse and for those who rescue them. We pray because they shouldn't have to pray alone. Let us pray, educate ourselves, and volunteer for the children of our community, for the children of our state and our nation. Pray that soon black and blue will just be colors in the crayon box instead of the colors of their bruises. Now, we have a video that tells you exactly what CAC is. A Children's Advocacy Center, or CAC, provides support to victims of child abuse. Without a CAC, an abused child may have to tell their story over and over again in settings that may be scary or where kids may think that they're in trouble. Then, families have to search around for the services their children need all on their own. But in a CAC, a child tells their story to a trained interviewer who makes the process gentle on the child and finds the facts which are crucial to the child's case. Then, a community of professionals in medicine, law enforcement and child protective services, prosecution, victim advocacy, and other heroes work through the CAC to decide the best way to help the child. And, CACs provide science-backed mental health care that heals kids from trauma and helps them reclaim their futures. This community of caring professionals rallies around the child so children have everything they need, all in one place, at the CAC. To find your local CAC or to sign up for updates, visit nationalchildrensalliance.org. For 
the children's place and our church gets to support the luncheon they do yearly and support in other ways. So we're so thankful. If you would like to know more about it, Lorraine and Cheryl Fagan would be great people that you could talk to about it. But let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we come before you and we lift this issue to you. I know that it breaks your heart. When the disciples tried to keep children from you, you scolded them. And you've said, let the children come to me. And we wish we could take each child that's experienced abuse out in our county, in our world, and even in this room. We wish that we could take them and bring them to you physically for your healing. But we know that we can't do that now. But we can lift them to you and ask that you would bring healing to them. Not only that, Father, we pray that you would be with teachers and law enforcement officers and authorities around that they might see bruises and hear words and see things that would cause them to report and save those children. We ask God that you would protect the children in our area, in our church and outside of our church and throughout this county and world, that they might live the way they're intended to live and that they might find places that would show them the love of Christ. Bless this ministry, this work, and God, we just pray that you would work in the hearts of those who are being abused, but also in those who are abusing, that they would see their actions for what it is and seek help and get help. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We've come to um, our call to worship. And it says the last um, week for this, um, is, is in terms of this month, we'll have a new one next time. But would you read it out loud with me as the Apostles' Creed? Let's read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We're devoting ourselves to the public reading the scripture. Joe Bob's going to come and read the scripture now. Morning. Today's scripture is from Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who can understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who can understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
This is the word of the Lord. As we get started, I want to remind you that this is the worship service of our King. So as we come, we, we bring to him our worship. And I just want to encourage you to use the entire time to use the words to make it a prayer. If there's a time where the musicians are playing, pray and ask God to bless your life and use the words of the song. Make this entire time a time of communion with God. We come together to worship the King, right? Amen. So let's give him the worship that he deserves. Let's stand together and sing. All right, church, I love the two songs we're singing today, especially after someone has um, been baptized. And I want you to think about the day, that glorious day that you came to know Jesus Christ. And in this congregation, there may be some that came to know him early. There may be some that came to know him at different ages. But that day is a glorious day that Jesus Christ lifted us from the weight of sin. So let's worship him.
you happy about your salvation I just don't know what will that glorious day man I think thank Jesus today for coming and just saving a sinner like myself man he's just good I want to read a scripture from Psalm 103 and it says this it says um, verse 12 as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us and east and west never meet. So when we have been saved and we know the Lord, man, that forgiveness of God is so sweet, isn't it? Amen.
Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you for that truth that your promises never fail. We, we admit that there are times we wonder about the timing of your promises, but you're always right on time. You always do it exactly when it needs to be done. Help us to trust you. We thank you, Father, that we can come before you and lift our request to you. We just want to pray, God, that you would watch over members of our church as they're going through difficult times. We pray for our pastor emeritus, A.L. We just ask God that you would be with his health and his pain and his back, that you would just bring healing to him. We pray for Rita Foster, God, that you would bring healing to her, just strengthen her. We pray for baby Camille. Pray for Landon and Balin and John and Kim and the other grandparents involved. God, we just pray that that little baby, that the valve would work and not leak and that it would take hold and that she would recover fully. We pray for Scott Fields as he faces valve surgery and we ask God that you would be with him and the doctors. God, I pray for Jared and his brother and father and the struggles that health-wise they're going through, we pray for your healing. Pray for Keith Moore as he leaves tomorrow for Mombasa again. I just ask God that you would bless him in his travels and bless him as he ministers with Ben and the others there. Just watch over him and keep him safe. Let him be bold and may bear every good fruit with every good work for your glory. Lord, you know the needs that we have. There are many. We lift them to you. That's just a small, just a small list of those of such a great list. We just ask, Father, that you would be glorified in our lives. I pray, Father, as we turn to your word that you would speak to us. And even as Paul prayed, we ask, Lord, that that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit and our inner being. We want Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, that you might root us and ground us in love. Give us the strength, God, we pray, to comprehend with all the saints just how long and how wide and how high and how deep is your love. Lord, that we would know that love that surpasses all knowledge and an amazing prayer, Paul, Lord, that we would be filled with the fullness of you. Lord, you know every single thing. And we come to you as an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And we ask that you speak to us as we come now to your word. Holy Spirit, just as you led James to write these words, you inspired him to do so. Would you now open our minds and our ears and our hearts to receive this truth and illuminate us so that we can understand it and apply it, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to James chapter 1. Kayla, good to have you back with us. Um, James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 
verses 22 through 25. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. As Joe Bob read about Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra came and stood similar to me on a platform and he opened the scrolls and he read and all the people stood and he read the entire law all day. And everybody stood and listened to the Word of God being read. I'm not going to read that much. But that's, that's the reason we do this when I get ready to preach is passages like that. So verse 22. You remember in verse 19, he tells us to let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he comes in 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what it was, he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So in verse 18, James says God brings us forth. It's a picture of bringing us to birth. He, he brings us forth to new birth by his word of truth. And then in verse 21, he tells us that that word, that word that saved us is, is now implanted in us. I told you last week, I believe that's through the Holy Spirit as he comes to dwell inside of us and the Spirit brings to mind the things of God's Word, but his Word is now implanted in us and, and we hear from the other writers of Scripture that now we have a new heart. Paul says we're now new creations and the Word of God, like the seed that fell on the good soil in Jesus' parable of the four soils, that Word now has fallen into our lives. It's gone inside to that division. Paul says it this way, or the, or the writer of Hebrews, to that division of, of bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It goes deep down inside of us and takes root and begins to bear fruit. It's the Word of God inside of us. That Word, he says in last week's text, that's implanted in us must be received with meekness. In other words, we, we must humble ourselves before it. We must let the Word of God be our guide. The Word of God needs to be our authority. But what does that, where does that lead us? How do we live as a result of that? Again, in verse 19, we're, be, we're to be quick to hear quick to hear. And I showed you that the context of that is quick to hear the Word of God, quick to hear what God's Word says. And, and, and as, we, as we think about listening to the Word, we have to ask ourselves, is just listening to the Word enough? Is it enough that you come to, to this hour of worship? I'm glad you're here. Look around me, and I'm glad that we have these people, all of you here, but is it enough that you come to worship? Is it enough if you came early to Sunday school that you, you, you sat in a Sunday school class and heard the word taught there? Is that enough? If you're one of the super holy and you come on Wednesday night and, and you hear the word of God taught on Wednesday night, I'm teaching through Romans, and I expect to see all you super holy people back at 6.30, but, but is is that enough? Is it enough to, 
to hear the word preached and hear the word taught and hear it taught and, and, to, and to go to Bible study and, and to get the knowledge and to read the word of God, is, is that enough? James says, no, it's not enough. I think he would agree with us that all those are good things. Those are important steps. But we who are followers of Jesus, who have been brought to life by the word of truth, we who have got the word of God now implanted inside of us, must not just be hearers of the word. We must be, James says here, doers. James moves us from the acceptance of God's word to the obedience of God's word. The word of God has to influence every single area of our life. And that's the main point that we find here. That's the main point. But we demonstrate the word of God having influence in our life, not by the knowledge that we have. It's not that if you can win the Bible trivia game, you've got it down. That's a good thing to have Bible knowledge. It's a good thing to know all those things. But the truth of the matter is we demonstrate it not by the knowledge that we store in our heads, but by our obedience to it. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will, what? You will keep my commandments. So the focus of our life has to be to know God. The focus of our life as Christians is to see his beauty. To see him as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures and to love him. And as we see him for who he is and we learn to love him, that means then we will begin to obey him, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love him. The next command of James, I told you there's 50-something, I think 52 commands in the book of James alone. And we looked at several of them, but, but the next command is found in our text in verse 22, but be doers. If you've been in church long enough, like I have, you probably heard it taught this way. But be ye doers of a word. I, I, I don't talk that way. You don't talk that way. But I remember it that way. Be doers of the word. That's a command to be a doer. James says, if we're only hearers of the word and not doers, he says, he just cuts it straight to the point. If you're only a hearer and not a doer, you deceive yourself. Now that's about as straightforward as you can get. And what I want you to see this morning, and this will be a little different. I, I thank Priscilla for working with me here and Corey for working with me, getting it on the screen. But I want you to see two people, okay? And we're gonna pull it up. First, you have those with a mirror, people with a mirror, and secondly, you have people with a word, okay? Both of those are pictured in this text. People with a mirror, people with a word. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you right now that both of these people are looking into the word. But James is using the person with the mirror to, to make a point, but both are looking in the word. And what you see is that people with the mirror look at it, okay? They look at the word, but James uses a different word for people with the word. They look into it, okay? So they look at or they look into. And then he says that the person with the mirror looks at the word and then goes away. But the person with the word looks into the word and perseveres. If you want to write a word next to that, that, that would be continues, okay? Because that's what he's saying. He continues in the word. And so you have these people who, who look 
and then looking too, you have people who, who just go away and people who persevere. And the person who just looks and goes away forgets. He forgets. But the person who looks into the word and continues and perseveres, that person acts upon it. Okay? Now, we'll come to the last two points in this little while, so just hang with me for a second. I promise you, you'll fill in those blanks. You won't have to come to me at the end of the service. But, but the point is not the mirror. Okay? The point's not the mirror. He's talking, as I just said, about both groups looking into the Word. Both are looking into the Word, but he's comparing one who looks in the Word like a mirror, just sees it, and then goes away and forgets. I told the earlier service, it's interesting, he said it's like a man who looks in the mirror. You ladies look in the mirror, you don't forget anything about it. But men look in the mirror, and we don't remember. Maybe there's something on our face, and then we get distracted, we don't remember what that is. And so when you're looking at this, they're, they're looking into the mirror. It's not about, it's not just a glance. I've heard this taught that, that, that the wrong problem with the first person is, is they just glance at the word, but they don't really dig into the word. That's not what we're going to find. It just doesn't measure up to what James says, and I'll tell you why. It's the word look. You see it in verses 23 and 24 and verse 25. When a word is used that much, and I, I like to either highlight it or circle it or underline it to point out because he's using that word, he's using it three times and he's making a point. And I, and I want you to see what he's pointing. The verse 23 and 24, the person with the mirror, he looks intently. That's what the word means, to look intently, to consider, to contemplate. He's not just glancing. He's looking into it. He's considering it. He's, he's, he's contemplating on it. He's, he's spending time there getting knowledge. He's not ignoring the word, or she's not ignoring the word. He's, he's looking at it, but, but that's all he does, is he gets the knowledge and then goes away and forgets. He looks, he reads, he studies. He puts another notch in his knowledge belt. He learns another fact. Another little thing that, hey, I can trick the preacher with this one. And, and, and you've got those, you know, that come up, they, they study. Hey, what, how many hairs does so-and-so have? You know, I, I don't know. They get knowledge. They get knowledge, but they forget. And then in verse 25, that word look is a different word. And it's hard to see it. I know that. That's why we study the people who, who know these things that's a word, you remember when Peter and John ran to the tomb? And Peter stopped and looked in and John went in. That word that was used there to look is a different word. It, it means to, to stoop, to bend over, to examine. So it's a little stronger. Here's a person who's doing the same thing, though. He's, he's studying the Scripture, looking at the scripture, scripture. Both people are looking at the Scripture. And I want to say it this way. Both are looking at it intensely. What's the difference? Let me try to show you as practically as I can. Both men sit down in their place to study. Right now, um, for me, because the mornings are so cool, uh, my place of study is at the kitchen table right now. Okay? 
As soon as it warms up a little bit, I'll be outside. And, and, and weather feels great, but I've been to Malaysia and now it feels like a cold wave. I'm, I'm turning the air conditioner up instead of down. And so, but, but when you get that place of study, they both study. So let's just picture this for a moment. Both of them study Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And they're going through the Ten Commandments and they're studying those Ten Commandments. And if you, if you study the Ten Commandments, you, you have to look at them and see what God's saying. It's very clear but then you've got to come over to the Sermon on the Mount and see how Jesus applied it. And so, for example, Jesus took the, the, the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, and he said, it's not just that you don't commit adultery, but that you don't lust. Jesus said, it's not just that you don't murder, but that you're not angry. And he goes through and he shows you the spiritual side of each of these commandments. So, so this man, the man with the mirror, he looks at the Word of God. He, he reads the Ten Commandments, he, he reads Matthew, he, he gets the application of it, he looks at it, he applies it to his life in that moment, he reads it, he understands it, then leaves his study, goes to his phone, and turns on pornography, and spends time studying that. He just read about adultery and lust, but now he's got pornography on his phone. You say, well, that's not going to happen, really? I just read about a Christian ministry on the West Coast that said the people that they bring in to, to do ministry in their own organization, 100% of the young men admitted they struggled with pornography. And 50% of the women struggled with it. That's people who are coming to church, sitting where you're sitting, and struggling with the struggles that you have. And so this man, or this woman, studies Exodus 20, studies the Sermon on the Mount, and then gets on his phone and goes right back to the things he used to do, or he goes to work, or she goes to work, and looks at that coworker and undresses them with their eyes and, and lusts after them. That person knew the truth, saw the truth, but did not apply the truth. Now let's take the other person, the person in the right-hand column. Studies the Word studies the same scripture, does the same thing with the book of Sermon on the Mount. He goes over there and he looks at that and he applies it. And then he goes out of that place meditating on what he just read. He doesn't just forget it. He doesn't just cut it off. He doesn't close his Bible and say, well, that's it. Understand this, and, and I've been discovering this this past week in my own life. When you make concerted effort to try to be in the presence of God, Everything will break loose against you. And you'll be short and you'll be ugly. And you'll say things you shouldn't say to your wife or your kids or your grandkids. Satan comes after us when we're getting into the Word of God. And when you dig into the Word, especially in passages with sexuality and those type of sins, Satan will come after you even while you're studying the Word of God. So what do you do? You don't just close your Bible and move on. You, 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 put, it, you put it in your notes on your phone or you screenshot it where you can look at it or, or you do what we used to do. You write it on an index card and you carry it with you. And you constantly chew on the Word of God. That man, he's no different than the other man. He has the same struggles that all men have and all women have. He thinks about that pornography on his phone, but instead he's taking screen time and he's blocked access to it. 
Instead, he's put covenant eyes on his computer and his phone where he can't get to it, and he has accountability partners. And so when he thinks about it, he automatically is shut down, and he turns to God and says, God, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? And then he gets to work, and, and there's that beautiful young lady that he's, he's prone to look at. Instead, he stops and he says, God, would you bless her husband? And would you bless her father? And would you bless her family? And would you let her come to Christ? And would you let me see her as a sister in Christ instead of an object of my own lust? He prays, and he seeks, and he chews on God's word, and he walks through the day chewing on God's word, which is called meditation. Do you see the difference? One looks and goes away and forgets. The other looks, perseveres, he continues, and he acts upon it. We've got a church, not just our church, but a church in America and in Europe and in England and the Western world that is full of people looking in mirrors and not applying. And the world especially our young folks are saying, you want me to follow that? You're no different than I am. They desperately need us to persevere and to act upon God's word and let the Holy Spirit show the difference that is inside of us. Well, here's the thing. If you go back to that chart just for a second, James tells us that the man who simply sees, goes away, and forgets deceives himself. He deceives himself. Literally, that word means he defrauds himself. You know what he means? He means he walks away thinking because he has done those spiritual disciplines that he's a follower of Jesus, but he's not. He's not. That's what James is saying. The scripture will show us our sin, but it will also show us a sinless Savior. And what we must do is respond to the sin through the Savior, through the Spirit. And we are de- we're deceiving ourselves if we think that we're followers of Christ, but there's no growth in our life. You notice I said growth. Your growth may be slower than someone else's growth. My growth may may be as slow as anyone in this room. But there's growth. And you grow in the Lord. And you continue to grow in the Lord. And little by little, you get victory. Listen, I'm 57. I was saved before I was 19. Just a month before my 19th birthday. Weeks before my 19th birthday. Surely I should be closer to Jesus now than I was then. There should be growth. There should be victory because we we look into the Word and we continue in the Word and we act on the Word. I remember, and many of you know this, I remember telling my daughters when they left to be home at a certain time. And so, man, I'm glad my parents didn't have location trackers. I wish they would have, probably I'd have been a lot better student and a lot better person. But, but just imagine, I tell my daughters, and I'm, not, I'm just using this time, so don't go home and use it against me. I, I'm just say, all right, you be home at 11, okay? And so, you know, as parents, I can go to sleep pretty quick, but I'm waking up, checking the clock. Is she here yet? Is she here yet? And to say 11 o'clock comes around, she's not home. 11.15, 11.30, 11.40, she comes strolling in. Look at her and say, what time did I tell you to be home? 11. 
What time is it now? 11.40. Why are you late? Well, we were watching a movie, and I didn't want to leave. Now, I don't understand that. But she knew what time I said to be home. She understood what time I should be home. She just didn't obey what time she should be home. And that's the first person. They know what the Word says. They know what they're supposed to do. They just don't do it. And when you live that way, you, don't dece- you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself. But then let's look at the other person, the person with the Word who looks into the Word and per- perseveres, continues, and acts. Look at verse 25 for a minute. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You want to live a blessed life? Be obedient to God's word. Walk in the Holy Spirit. It really comes down to he's deceived or he's blessed. And it comes down to acting upon what God's word says. Let me show you something else. It's the key, okay? I want you to see the key here. It's found in verse 25. And and as we look at that, we often see the word of God as a limitation in our life. It's it's just a killjoy, to use a phrase we use growing up. It's... It's just a bunch of don'ts. Is that how you see the Word of God? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. I I remember early on, before I came to Christ, that's how I saw it. And even after I got saved, I still struggled with it. But but James describes the Word of God, and he talks about it. and, and, And he uses the word law here. The law is simply a means of teaching. It's God teaching us and showing us who he is and what pleases him. You and I are not saved by keeping the law. But now that we're saved by grace, we look back to the law to understand what pleases God. When we see the beauty of Christ, we see the glory of God. When we see that, we'll see the law is a good thing because it shows us how to please him. It shows us how to refrain from grieving him. Look at what he says. He says the law is perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect because it comes from a perfect God. It's perfect because it's his holy book. It's perfect because it's what he says and not what we say. It's perfect because it's for us, from him, for us in our life. It's what we need. The word. Now let me just put them in alphabetical order. So not to oppose or make anyone mad. But I don't need the opinion of CNN, Fox News, or MSNBC. I don't need that. I'm not saying I can't listen to it, but that's not my first source. The law of God, the word of God has to be the authority in my life. I really don't need everyone else's opinion. Because if the person on Fox or the person on the other one, if the person says this and God's word says that, guess who's wrong? Because it's God's word. 
So I come to the word of God. I come to the word of God about marriage. I come to the word of God about sexuality. I come to the word of God about abusing alcohol. I come to the word of God about abusing drugs. I come to the word of God about keeping the law that is given to us. I come to the word of God about every area of life. The word is my authority. We need the truth of God's word as the authority of our life. It is perfect, perfect because it's God's word. But then he says it's a law of liberty. Now we don't look at the law as liberty, do we? We look at the law and liberty being as polar opposites. I mean, just they, they, they can't even come close together and sometimes in our minds, but, but it is the law When you're saved by grace, it is the law that will liberate you. It will liberate you. So let's just go back again. I'm picking on the one one commandment, number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, in the world, some would say, well, that's pretty limiting. That's stifling. I don't want to live that way. The world says that sexual abundance comes in the abundance of partners. But is that true? Have we found that to be true in human history? Have we found that to be true in our lives? Counselors often have to help people unpack the years of living that way, unpack guilt and shame for comes from that lifestyle. Let me ask you what's more freeing Multiple partners with a constant scare of disease, multiple partners with a constant scare of unwanted pregnancies or accusations or, or being found out, is, is, is that freeing? Or is it the man and woman who get married and fall in love and enjoy the gift of intimacy that God has given them all the days of their life? Not every day, but all the days of their life. Men don't go quote me wrong there. All the days of their life. It's the scene if you're awake. The law of God is perfect. It's a law of liberty. Let me ask you this question. With all that we see with gender, with sexuality, has the embrace of humanity made people on that side happier? Unfortunately, in the homosexual community, suicide is a great cause of death. I read a homosexual man who wrote about it. He was a reporter out of San Francisco. And he said, we've got the law that now allows us to be married. We've got the push. We've got the momentum. And yet we're still killing ourselves. Here's the reason. Homosexuality and heterosexuality, whatever side... Neither of those are there to cause you to have freedom outside of God's word. It's in God's word that you find freedom. Remember that, students. Remember that, parents. Freedom really does come by living with God's law of liberty. It sets you free. The third thing he says about it is it is the law reveals God's character. It shows God's character. Think of it like this. If you were to go through the Ten Commandments, and I won't go through all of them, but what does the command against murder show us about God? It shows us that God's a life-giving character. 
The command against murder shows God's life-giving character. The command against adultery shows God's faithful character. The law against stealing shows us God's character of generosity and giving to us. The law against bearing false witness shows us that God's character is keeping his promises. We could go on and on. God offers us abundant life. But here's the thing. The enemy takes every area of abundance and counterfeits it. And tries to say, you won't find freedom here, but you'll find freedom here. But this is what Jesus said. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you don't have to look at humanity very long to see that's exactly what is true. God has revealed his character to us. Someone said God takes what is true about himself and expresses it as a rule for us to obey so that we can know him and be more like him. Listen, the expectation of an athletic coach requiring you to come to the first practice in shape seems like a limitation on your freedom. The expectation of a piano teacher or a musician to actually expect you to practice during the week before you come to the practice or the lesson seems like an an affront against your freedom. But just imagine if you show up for the first practice in the best shape of your life. You will be able to succeed unlike any other year of your life because you don't have to worry about getting shaped. You can just focus on fundamentals and be what you've prepared to be. If you practice that on the piano or the guitar or the bass or the drums or whatever it is you're playing, if you practice that day after day after day, you get to the lesson already practiced up. Your teacher can then teach you new things so that you can play better and be more what you want to be. That discipline is true in our physical life and it's true in our spiritual life. When we read God's word, when we gaze into the beauty of Christ, the beauty that he has displayed to us, and then we turn around and we put that into practice, we'll be blessed. Blessed. We'll bear fruit. Our leaves won't wither like the tree that's planted by the water and the fruit will come in its season. And everything we do will prosper. That's what God's word promises us. You think about what God's word has done. Turn back to your left to the book of Colossians. I've been spending a lot of mornings in this book. Especially the prayer. Colossians. Gentiles. Eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I always remembered it. Gentiles eat pork chops. I'm sorry. That's just how my brain works. That's just, that's just how I work. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I say, he's weird. And Kim said, you have no idea. You have no idea. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. I want you to see what God has done. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's every one of us, y'all. Alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. If you don't believe it, go to Ephesians 2. It says the same thing. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue, persevere, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. He goes on and he talks about how we're to live our lives. There's freedom in walking in the Spirit. So how do we do that? Turn over to chapter 3. Colossians 3. Now if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. He tries to pull you away. But if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse five, put to death. And you can read those. He tells you what to put to death. And he says in verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God's coming. And then he says in verse 8, put them away. And he lists some more sins. And then in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. He talks about in verse 11 that we're one in Christ. And then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and he looks at the things we're to put on. And then he says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, remember that? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. How do we do that? When I grew up, Y'all are going to think this is crazy and it's beyond anything you can imagine. When I grew up, we had three channels. And they were attached to an antenna. And when it got a little fuzzy, what would we do? We didn't do it. I did it. Dad said, go outside, turn the antenna. And you'd have the window open and you'd start turning the antenna. He said, hold it, hold it, hold it right there, right there, right there. And then you could watch it. Nowadays... We got 16,000 channels on the basic plan. And Kim hates it when I, when I used to, I don't watch TV much anymore, but when I used to watch TV, I had to start flip, chip, 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 chip. And she said, what are you doing? I'm just trying to see what's on. And that's the way Satan wants our minds to work. Just flipping channels. Good looking person, flipping a channel of lust. Brand new car, flipping the channel of greed. And cars aren't in love by themselves. Beautiful people aren't bad. It's just what you do. And you keep flipping that channel, flipping that channel. But but what if you find one channel and you tune into it? Now, y'all are not going to believe this. Radios used to not be digital. And they had this little right-hand button. And so you could be driving. And sometimes you, you wish this still had it because you could get, like if you're driving from, from here to Texas, you'd find a really good station and it's playing everything you want to play. And then it'd start getting a little staticky. And you'd get out of, so you just tune it a little bit. Find the things that are above. Look at the scripture and tune your life into that. Set it on one channel, the channel of God. Set it on what God's word says. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. Keep your mind on the things of God. 
Don't just channel surf the world. Then how do you do that, okay? Let's just say, I don't know about you, the first thing I do after, lately I've been getting up and reading my Bible and doing some things, but the first thing I do before I go out is I shower, okay? And, and you'd be thankful that I did that, okay? So I shower. Here's something I've learned to do. I get into that shower and I say, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed me clean of my sins. Just as this soap cleanses my body, so your blood cleansed me. Thank you for my forgiveness. As I, I don't have to shampoo my hair, so I don't worry about that. But, but as I do that, Lord, may I be, even as I brush my teeth, Lord, may I be a pleasing aroma of life to those I'm around and not an aroma of death. You put your clothes on. Everyone did that today. We're thankful for that. You put your clothes on today. Think about Ephesians 6. As you put your clothes on, put on the armor of God. God, I'm coming today as I put my shirt on. I ask for the breastplate of righteousness. If you wear a hat, God, I put on the helmet of salvation. As you put on your belt, God, I ask you to help me walk with the belt of truth. God, help me as you put your feet, your shoes on. God, help me to to be shod with the shoes of peace that I might carry that peace where I go. And then as you go out, God, let me carry your word as a a shield of faith and let me carry your word as a sword of of the spirit. And you put on that armor and you don't forget that last piece of armor that no one talks about. It's called all prayer. God, help me pray today and help me stay in tune with you. Let me, when my life gets a little out of tune, let me just take that right-hand dial and tune back into you. You can do that through every area of your life. Right now, and I know I've got to go. You're driving and you see the beauty of the green grass. God, thank you for the, the new life you give us. I see the blue jay, the blue bird, the red bird. God, thank you that you're not boring I watch the crows, the rednecks of the bird family. I love to watch them. I promise you, crows are the birds that say, hold my beer and watch this, as they dive bomb the hawk. I promise you they are. The only one more rednecks than mockingbirds. But as I look at that, I see the creativity of God. And you're not going to remember anything I said, but hold my beer and watch this. I know that. I don't drink beer if you're wondering. Okay, I don't. But you know what I mean. Look at everything around you and let it be a prayer. Look at that mama driving at Coosa Valley or eating wherever you go to school, and she's beating her kids in the back seat. Pray for that kid, but pray for her. You know what that's like. (laughs) Everything, y'all. Everything can be prayer. I just read about a guy who was a missionary And he decided to see if he could make sure that he thought about God at least once every hour. And then he said, I want to think about God once every 15 minutes. And then he got down, he said, I want to think about God every minute of my day. And he said there were times he had great success. Here's what I've just noticed. You're sitting in that class and you're poured to tears or you're excited, whichever one you are. And you look around the class and you know some of the struggles your students, fellow students have. You know the struggles your coworkers have. Use that time to pray for them. 
setting your mind on heaven and being doers of the word, not just hearers. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads for a moment? We're going to sing a song and give you a chance to respond. There was a, a Catholic monk. He was a mystic. I'm not saying his theology was all the best, but he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he was in the monastery. He, he washed dishes, pots and pans. And in the book, he says, there came a moment where I felt that I was just as much in the presence of God washing pots and pans as when I was in the sanctuary praying. That's really where God wants us to be. Every moment in his presence. Doing his word. What's keeping you from that? What commitments do you need to make? You can't start every minute. But start somewhere. Find a way to use every moment of your life as a prayer back to God. And then when those temptations come, and they do come, you prayed up. And you're a lot more likely to say, God, help me and turn away than you are to say, God, forgive me at the end. Let God help you be a doer. Father, I think I've done what you've asked me to do. And now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to the depths of our heart. And that we wouldn't just hear this sermon but that we go home and meditate on it and think about it and apply it. Not just them, Lord, but me, all of us, to be doers. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If I can help you, I'm over here. Tim's at the front. We'll help you in any way we can.
Dry bones come alive. 